for themselves, whether it be for a situation or whether it be for others. And today I want to share one of those prayers with you. I did a, a message about six months ago uh, that was entitled A Pastor's Prayer for His People. Uh, and it was a prayer of Paul to the Ephesian church. Today I want to look at Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 9 through 11. Verses 9 through 11. And if you have your bulletin, you will see that there are six points. You go ahead. That's what I'm getting ready to do next. Once you find your place, stand to your feet. We like to stand to our feet for the reading of God's word to honor him. We'll read the word, then we'll pray, and then you can sit back down. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Starting there, it says this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the, the honor it is to come into your presence. Lord, we know that you promised us that if we'd gather in your name that you would be here. And Lord, we know that you are here today. Father, I pray that you help us, Lord, as we continue to worship in your word. Father, I pray that our hearts will be open, uh, Lord, and that uh, our understanding will grow today uh, about why you established the church and what our real goals are as the church uh, and as individuals who claim to love you and follow you. Father, we pray, Lord, if there's someone here who does not know you, God, we pray today, Lord, they will see their need for you. Uh, and Lord, and we'll, uh, Lord, call you Lord as we do. Uh, and allow you to lead their life and cover them with your blood. Father, we pray these things, Lord, in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. I want to walk you through this prayer. And to do that, we have to ask ourselves a few questions. It's first off, who is Paul writing to? We know that it's the Philippian church. But was he writing to someone specific? Is there an issue going on? Uh, if you start to become a real student of the Bible, you will find out that when you're looking at um, the epistles, uh, specifically the, what we call the Pauline letters, you'll see that there are times where Paul is writing to a church such as Corinth, where there is an issue going on. And he writes to the, to the church in general, but he also writes to a specific point and specific issues, such as the immorality that was occurring in the Corinthian church. And so it's important when we read these letters, we ask ourselves, who is he writing to? And so in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, we see who he's writing to. And it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Now, what does that mean? Well, first off, this letter is in general to the congregation there uh, at Philippi, but it's also, it says with. 
the overseers and deacons. The overseer sometimes is translated as bishop. Uh, it really is, is a pastor. An overseer of the church is a leader of the church, such as a pastor. Different denominations sometimes call it different things, but it, it all really kind of is this, you know, the same, uh, just use different words for it. So he's writing for the church, but, he's, but he says with the overseers and deacons. And I, and I think that's important that we understand that. And so today, when we're looking at this prayer, this prayer is not just for us as individuals in Christ, but it is for the congregation as believers who come together under the leadership, overseers, right, of the pastors as well as the deacons. So that also means that this letter also has some specific points, I believe, for the leaders of the church. Not only the pastor, assistant pastor, but our deacons, uh, leaders within the congregation, worship leaders, so, so on and so forth. And so I think you kind of hopefully understand uh, what, we're, what we're saying this morning, right? So that when we look at this, I want us to look at it uh, in, in context, not only to us as believers, but I'm also speaking to those of you who are leaders here in the church as well. It's important that the leaders understand their role, but it's also important for the church to understand the role of the leaders as well and also your role just as followers of Christ. And so we're going to see here what, what God has for us and what Paul's prayer is for this church, uh, not only in Philippi, but I believe there is application for us here today, still yet the church. Amen. So he's writing to the saints, to the pastors, and to the deacons, and to the ministry leaders. Um, this, this prayer of Paul is, is a reminder to us as the purpose and the priority as followers of Christ and as the church. This, this short prayer is really chock full of things that remind us what it is that we're called to do in being the church and how important it is for us to do this. Right? It, it is a must that we preach the gospel uh, as the scriptures tell it for our own health and safety, for our spiritual health and our safety. So it's important as, as leaders are reminded of that, of how important it is to hold the word of God at the utmost priority. It has to be the most important thing to us. When it comes time to deal with a situation, when it comes time to deal with issues, uh, whether it be in the church or whether it be even outside of the church in, the, in our lives, it's important that we realize that the Word of God is supreme and it is to, should be the go-to place for all of us every time. The first place we go, not the last place. It's not for us to take worldly wisdom and when that fails us, then say, okay, what does God say about that? It's important that if we say we follow Christ is that we go to the word of God each and every time and not allow ourselves to be carried away uh, with our thoughts and feelings on a subject but instead of what the Word of God says because that's what the world tries to say today. The world wants to have a, an emotional, right? They want to have an emotional response. Right? And, and it's their emotional response that tries to lead their logic instead of what the Word of God says. And so when you take an emotional approach or a, you know, a feelings-based approach, it could lead us astray because our hearts sometimes are not pure before God. And we'll look at something and we'll allow our emotions to lead us into a place that God is not pleased with. We'll let our emotions dictate what it is that our response is to a situation. 
I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and, and they were bringing up the, the same sex issue. One says, well, well, how can you tell me it's wrong for someone to, to love another person? I said, listen, I did not say it's wrong for a person to love another person, but sex was designed to be between man and a woman inside of marriage. You can love someone, but the moment that you become selfish and you become God in your own mind that you're going to establish what is right then you have left the word of God abandoned. What God says is right because God is the ultimate surveyor of justice. In the end, we will all stand before him. Jesus calls it in that great day. Right, in that great day. In that great day, it talks about, listen, that great day is going to be a scary day when we stand before God. And when we stand before God, we're going to be measured against his word and his law, not ours. And so when we apply feelings to our reasoning, that is not going to stand when we stand before God. Well, God, I thought, well, listen, I, I didn't tell you to think about what you thought was right. I told you to follow what I said is right. And all of this is very important. I was uh, looking at some... Um, I was looking at some statistics and listening to some folks um, that, that, I, that I follow that are great theologians and, and also have great guests on, such as uh, the Wretched Radio, things like that. And, uh, you know, they, the, the America now is approximately about 42% evangelical. But they did a study among those who are evangelical, and the study was, is what was the Bible literacy rate? And when I mean Bible literacy rate, it means how many that claim to know Jesus actually know the scriptures, understand the structure of the Bible. It doesn't mean you've had the Bible memorized. It doesn't mean you know every passage. It doesn't mean that you can quote from memory all 66 books of the Bible. But it, but it means that, that, that how many understand the structure of the book, understand the context of the book, understand that from Genesis to Revelation, it all speaks to Christ, either his first coming or his second coming. It all speaks to God's redemption plan for man and understands the, the Old Testament versus the New Testament, understands what prophecy is. And so this, this Bible literacy rate doesn't mean you have to have a doctorate in theology. It doesn't mean you have to be even educated in theology. It just means that you have to love the book enough to understand at least the, the, the construct of the book. And the literacy rate is alarming. Because those that understand what I just said, those who, who are, are literate in the scriptures that at least understand the construct of the book, among evangelicals falls into single digits. Six percent. Folks, that is alarming. That is alarming. And listen, that's not what God wants for us. And then today we look at churches in America and I know what you're tired of. You're going to say, I'm tired of you talking about churches in America. Listen, you know why I talk about it so much? Because I don't want to be one. I don't want to fall into that statistic of pastors who are more worried about the wrong questions. You see, there's a term called pragmatism. Look it up. Pragmatism is when we look at our ideology and we gauge it to be based on the results. 
But the problem is, is when we start viewing success and we start gauging our results, we can be led astray for not asking the right questions. You see, a lot of the questions of the modern age of churches, questions are like this. How can I keep people coming back? Honestly, that's not my problem. That's not my role. That's not even the right question to ask. What can I do to make people want to come? Again, not my problem. Not the right question to ask. I know you think I've gone off the rails. Well, listen, you got a month to think about it. You got a month to vote me out of this place if you want to the next month. Do what you got to do. But the fact is, this isn't really different than anything I've been saying for the last couple of years. Because when I first came here, I was worried about those things. How do I get more people? How do I keep them coming? How can I? And sometimes it's been the question of, well, how can I compete with these other churches that have more programs? Let me tell you this, church, and I will say this until the cows come home. If coming into the presence of God is not enough reason for you to be here, then there's the door. Hit it. Find somewhere else. I will love you but I will not beg you. And now a lot of people have issues with pastors that don't, I don't coddle people and, and I don't do those things to just try to keep, well, you know, I've actually had pastors, people who pastored here before me. Well, if you don't go visit so-and-so, you know how it is. Listen, if I don't go visit so-and-so and that's the reason to abandon the church, then the best thing I could do is leave them alone instead of give them some sense of confidence that is not rooted in the Word of God. What I need to do as leaders, what I need to do, what Kevin needs to do, what our deacons need to do, and word, what we need to do is preach the Word and deliver the Word and be truthful. And when someone brings something that isn't truthful, we need to confront it. Why? Because the time is coming. It's already here. Where Paul wrote to Timothy and Peter even said it that people will not adhere to sound doctrine, but instead look for something that will tickle their ears. I'm not here to tickle. I know what you Boy, he's mad at us. He's going to give us down the road today. No, sir, I'm not at all. But I want to do what's right, and I want us to be a healthy church who's centered on the gospel. And that has to be the reason you walk through the door. If you walk through the door for anything else, well, what about people who don't know Jesus? Listen, we've had what's called the seeker-sensitive movement, and where has that gotten us? The seeker-sensitive movement among American churches is where we, 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 we wanted people to come in and not feel like they're at church. I don't know about you, but I want to feel like I'm at church. Amen? I want to walk in and be in the presence of God. I don't want to walk in and think I'm at a rock concert or I'm at some coffee bar with a bunch of happy baristas and all that other. I don't want to feel like that. I want to know that I'm in the presence of God and with His people that want to be in the presence too. Amen? Do you want to be in His presence? Do you want to follow His Word? If that's what you want to do, then listen, then we're at the right place. If you want something other than that, listen, then here is not for you. You're preaching to the choir of, I may be, some of you are choir members. But listen, we don't need to be asking the wrong questions, we need to be asking the right questions. What is the right response for the world we're living in today? Isn't that important? Because that's what this prayer really brings out, and that's why I want to share it with you today. 
What does God say? And what should be our focus? And so as Paul says, this is my prayer, I want us to break down this prayer. And I broke it down into six lines. Six things that are broken down into this prayer to help us understand the what and the why of the church and as followers of Christ. First off, it says this, that love may abound more and more. Listen, what does love look like according to the Scriptures? Because what the world says is love is really not love at all. Matter of fact, the world says, well, if you really love me, then you will accept how I live as being correct. And that couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. Loving you sometimes is loving you enough to tell you you're wrong. True love delivered is loving someone regardless regardless of race, ethnicity, or anything else, regardless of lifestyle, but it is truly loving someone that we will be the hands and feet of Jesus, but also enough that we'll be truthful, still yet deliver love and truth with grace. Our love for God and our love for our neighbors should be growing. Growing. And I don't know about you, but people are getting harder to deal with. Amen? People are getting tough. Just in case y'all can't hear me online, people are getting rough to deal with. I mean, it's tough these days. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody got to what well, I think, what well, I feel. Listen, I don't care what you think or feel. I care about what God's Word says. I will love you regardless, and my love means truth and honesty. Now, I want you to look at the opposite of what love abounding is, because in today's, especially in, the, in what we're seeing in the American gospel, we have on one point, we have the health and wealth in the American gospel, which says that, that if you love God and if you give, He'll give back to you tenfold, so you sow your seed money and all that, and then you tell God what you want, and He's got to do it because He's big G God, and if you're His child, you're little G God, and whatever you say God's got to do because He promised you, listen, that is not the gospel at all. We have that kind of gospel, which is junk. But on the other hand, then we got this other side of the gospel. God loves you as he is, which that part is true. But it's as if God loves you as you are and he will care for you. And as long as you say a prayer, you can keep living like you are. And God's just still going to love you. Listen, that is not the gospel either. An encounter with Christ will change your life. There's no call for righteousness anymore. There's no call to be holy anymore. But that's exactly what the scripture says we're to do. Let's look at the opposite for a minute. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You know what that means? That means if you claim Christ as Lord, your life will change if you're serious about it. If you really mean it, then you'll look at life differently because when we call Him Lord, then we realize that our life should be aimed at pleasing our Master. And that calls for righteousness and striving for holiness. Yes, I will not truly 
ever be perfect, but I should be striving for it, amen? Instead of just using an excuse, well, Jesus died to cover my unrighteousness, so I'll just keep living the same way. That is not what the scripture says. And Paul said, should we keep on sinning that grace may abound? It's, it's like a rhetorical question because Christ covers you. Does that mean you still go out and do all manner of filth and think it's okay? Because, well, when I stand before Jesus, I'll stand covered with his blood. No, listen, when you stand before Jesus, you may hear the words that Jesus said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, because I never knew you. And you say, I did all this in your name. You never took me as Lord. I was never your master. And depart from me. Listen, there'll be many on that great day that will hear those terrible words of judgment. Our love should abound more and more for God and the things of God. That means His righteousness and His holiness. I love His holiness and righteousness so much that I strive to be like Him. I figured I'm going to blow a gasket today. I'm just going to go ahead and get over it. i got a month to recover. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11-13. It says, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus and all His saints. That your love may be abound for one another, and for him that we may be presented blameless and holy. You know what causes me to sin? A love for Huff that is stronger than my love for Jesus. A love for Huff that is stronger than my love for Jesus. Because sometimes Huff wants that feeling of acceptance from the world. And therefore I will do things that the world will do so that I can be among them and still be the cool kid. A love for Huff that is greater than my love for Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I know you've heard this time and time again. It says in chapter 13, starting in verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know what that means? I can do all these great things, but if I don't have love, I ain't nothing but a bunch of noise. A bunch of blah, blah, blah. A bunch of lip service. A bunch of words claiming one thing and living another. Because we can't say we love God and not love our neighbor. I see people today, they'll call into question someone's love for God if they don't vote for a political party. That's the biggest bunch of heresy I've ever heard in my life. If you don't like this person in office, then listen, there's no way you can love God. That is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You've heard us say time and time again that when we look at the issues of the day and what the Bible says against them, we find that the political parties are divided. 
Some party have a certain focus, some party have another focus, but as a church, we should have all those focuses together. Amen? A bunch of lip service, a bunch of judgment where we're judging based on our limited understanding. It doesn't make sense scripturally. And it says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Why? Because you cannot say you love God. You cannot have had an encounter with Christ and still say that you hate your brother. John wrote in one of his other letters that if we say that we love, and love if we say that we walk with Christ or are in the light and we don't love our brother, we're deceiving ourselves. And we are walking in darkness. It's amazing how petty human beings can be. It's amazing what will separate us. It's not the big theological issues. It's usually something little and trivial and stupid. Some of the things that we allow to wreck our lives could be fixed with a Band-Aid. A Band-Aid. We think we got a big open wound and we need a bunch of staples and, and surgeons and all we need is a Band-Aid because it's a minor scratch in the grand scheme of things. And still yet, we'll allow ourselves to be turned upside down. We'll reject the church. We'll reject brothers or sisters over something so stupid that a little band-aid for your boo-boo. Get over yourself. Get a band-aid. Stick it on. Somebody give you a little kiss on it if we got to. But it's time that we as Christians grow up. And live in the love of God and allow that love to permeate every aspect of our life, including our friendships, including our work environment, and everything that we do, we are to love. And if we do all this other stuff, and it says, and we have not love, we have gained nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nothing. But now listen, when we start talking about love, then he ratchets it up a notch. He says, not only do I pray that your love may abound, but it says this, that love may abound with knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. Go ahead and put that in space too. He ain't been filling in the blanks. Love, love with knowledge and discernment. Our love should abound with knowledge. In other words, knowing the truth and discernment so that we can discern what is right and wrong. You see, love without discernment can lead us to the acceptance of evil. Because we are to love, amen, we are to love God's creation. Other people are created in the image of God just like us, no matter what the pigment of their skin is, no matter what kind of accent they have, no matter where they live in the world. We are to love them but also we are to love with knowledge and discernment, which means that we got to love, but also understand what is right 
And be able to discern that which is love versus that which is not. To under, just be able to discern which is godly and what is not uh, godly. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. I can love you and not love your lifestyle. And the church has to understand that. Now the world says, if you don't love my lifestyle and you don't call my lifestyle right, then you don't love me, you hate me. That is absolute junk. But listen, but if that means someone thinks you hate them, then you keep on loving the way the Bible says. Sooner or later, they'll run into an issue in their life where they want true love and they'll remember that you were not willing to lower the bar just to have their acceptance because you love not only them, but more importantly, we love what is right right according to the Word of God. A lot of the problem today is we don't have discernment. If somebody says the word Jesus, oh, they must be right. Well, they believe in Jesus. Make sure you understand something. The devil and all his demons believe in Jesus. Is that the kind of company you want to hold? You want to be counted with that group? Well, I believe in Jesus. They, believe, they said they believe in Jesus. So do the demons. Big whoop. Do you believe the Jesus of the Bible? There are a lot of people out here that will claim and they'll use the word Jesus and they'll, they'll use things like sanctification. They'll use words that sound biblical. Well, that's Bible talk. They've got to be right. And we couldn't be further from the truth. You see, there are people out here that say they believe. There are religions out here that say they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible, that he was the son of God, that he was absolutely perfect, and that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through Jesus. They don't believe that. If they don't believe that, then they don't believe the Jesus of the Bible, and we got to know the difference. Heard some people talk about inviting people in at that knock on your door that we know have a, what we call a defective Christology, which means they have an incorrect view of Christ. They believe that Jesus exists. Listen, by the way, Muslims believe in Jesus. Amen. They believe he was a great teacher, but they don't believe that he was the Son of God and that it's through him and him alone that we are saved. They don't believe that. So if they don't believe that, they can say they believe Jesus all day long. And they'll still die and go to hell because they don't believe in the Jesus as the scriptures claim him to be. We have to be able to discern. So people talk about, well, I invite a man so we can, so I can tell him about Jesus. I'm going to tell you something right now. Make sure you know your Bible before you start playing with that kind of stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? You better make sure you're rooted and grounded in God's word because it won't take them long to trip you up. Why? Because they're trained in it. That's what they study. They study how to take your words and certain passages of the Bible and flip it around, and before you long, you'll be blowing bubbles not knowing where you're at. So you know what the best thing you can do about people that are not teaching Jesus as the Word of God outlines them? You can shut your door and say, listen, I don't believe as you believe. You say that you, love, you, say that you know Jesus, but you don't believe in Jesus of the Bible. Now, if you want to actually get together and sit down and talk, then I'll call in some, some folks that I know that know the scriptures real well. And listen, I'll not only do that, I'll fix you dinner. You bring you and your family, and I'll make sure we're prepared. But unless you're willing to sit down and open the Word of God with some people that can help you, then listen, you're not coming in my home. Amen? Let's, 
this is what Titus wrote. In chapter 1, verses 7 through 13, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many among you who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. He's talking about the Jews, the converted Jews. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. The best thing we can do for someone who was spewing things that are incorrect according to the scripture is shut them down. So not only are we to love, but we're to love with knowledge and discernment. You know what that means? We got to call wrong, wrong. Now listen, here's what I'm telling you. Don't be going now and getting on social media this afternoon and start rebuking people. First off, that's the job of a leader. Secondly, I have found, because I have done it wrong. Wrong more than once. And I don't say that proudly. Some of y'all been with me for a long time. Some of y'all remember those meetings. Some of them got ugly. Because if you're going to deliver a rebuke, you've got to deliver a rebuke not to prove the other person wrong, but to love them enough to bring them into a right understanding. You cannot do that in anger. You cannot do that with an attitude of being superior to them. It has to be done with a spirit of love and of graciousness. And it's something that you got to pray up for. And you got to make sure you take time and care to understand and make sure you're prepared spiritually and even physically and emotionally before you start delivering such rebuke. So we're not only to love, we're to love with knowledge and discernment. That's not an easy thing to do, but it is the role of the church. It is our job. It is what we're called to do, and it's an important one. Why are you saying all that, Pastor? Because I'm saying, listen, I'm preaching to leaders, and I'm preaching to you as well to understand the leader's role. So maybe on that day where you get a knock on your door, you understand why. Now listen, I ain't got nobody here as targets. I ain't got a list. I'm not preaching this, so next week I can say, all right, Kevin, Dave, and Greg, we're going for a ride. I got a list. I've not even got one person on my mind. But I can tell you as the world waxes colder and colder, we have to be prepared that it doesn't infiltrate the body of Christ. And I specifically need to make sure it does not infiltrate this church that God has called me to lead at this time.
He says, not only to, that our love may abound, and it abound with knowledge and discernment, but he then gives the why. So that you may approve what is excellent. Number three, so that you may approve what is excellent. I don't know about you, but anybody ever been on the wrong side of something? I heard a lot of this lately. I don't, when, when all is said and done, I want to be on the right side of history. You ever heard that term? We hear that a lot these days. I want to make sure I'm on the right side of history. Listen, I don't know about you, but when I stand before God, I want to be on the right side of Jesus. Amen. I want to be on the right side of his accepting what the word of God says and it alone. And not write in what I think. But instead, stand upon the word of God. It says that we not only should our love abound in love with knowledge and discernment so that we can prove what is excellent. Why? Because that's important. And that's something that we got to stand on is we need to approve what is excellent. That means that which agrees with the word of God, we should shout from the rooftops. And that which is wrong, we should also shout even louder from the rooftops. That is wrong. Too often the churches allow things to creep in. You've heard me talk and preach about prejudice on that topic. You've heard me preach and talk uh, 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 about even the, 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 the look at what we're calling social justice these days. Listen, there's only justice. And justice is what God says is right. What God says is just and right is and we should always stand for that, regardless of what it is. Will it, will it address social issues? Absolutely. But we should not just be worried about social issues. We should be worried about all the issues that affect mankind. And we should always be willing and want and desire to stand on the right side of what God says and approve that which is excellent and discard all of that which is wrong. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 8, it says, For at one time you were, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. You know, there are times that I have worked in darkness. You ever worked in a place that was dark? Y'all know what I mean by that? You ever worked in a place where it seems like there wasn't one person that liked the other? And all that's ever done is backbiting and carrying on? Listen, you know what that place needs? It place needs a little bit of light. Because light makes that which is visible, or makes things visible, that which is done in darkness. we got to stand for what is right, and it's not an easy thing to do. It's not easy sometimes to stand up for what is right when you're working with people that are just intent on darkness. But listen, it is our job to approve what is excellent and what is right. And if something's done wrong and you know it, then you should be able to want and desire to stand up for what is right because that is pleasing to God. Love with knowledge and discernment so that we may approve what is excellent. There have been times that I've worked and I remember some one time sitting in the office of the owner. Now listen, by the way, sometimes I tell stories about what, I, I could tell you more stories about what I did wrong. So this is not about glorifying Huff. I just want to give you a, a real life example, if you will, of the one time I got it right. But I remember a guy had been hurt on the job. 
And I remember that we were finally getting him back on light duty. And uh, we were in a meeting with the, the owner of the company and the, and the financial guy and all this stuff. And they started talking. They're like, well, the best thing we can do, when what, they were trying to, what they were trying to do was get this man to quit. Because it'd be cheaper if he left the company. We couldn't fire him. But they didn't want to pay him to do light duty because they thought that was a waste of money. So if we make it difficult enough on this person, then maybe they'll just quit. And that'll be a lot easier on the company. And I remember sitting there in that meeting and I was like, that's wrong. This person got hurt on the job working for us. This guy has a track record of being loved by by every superintendent on every job that he's ever been on. This guy's done flawless work and he's been good. And now that he gets hurt and now that it's going to cost us a little bit of money, we want to cut them at the throat to get them to quit so that we save a dollar or two. In what way is that right? In the world's way, they think it's absolutely right because they're looking at the greater good of the company is what they said. But I remember that day, I remember, you know them butterflies you get in the stomach when you know you got to speak up, but you don't want to? You remember them butterflies you get where you know, I don't know if I'm going to walk out here with a job? You know, what's, what's better for that guy to lose his or that guy to lose his and me lose mine? No sense in two of us walking away without a job. That's what was going through my mind. There's no sense in two of us losing a job. I could keep my job. Maybe I'll slide him a couple of dollars while he's on unemployment. But God wasn't going to let me. He going to let me be okay with that. I remember squirming in my seat, and I remember the owner looking at me. Huff, you got something to say? Oh, I was fine till he said my name. Huff, you got something to say? He called. It was like the Lord spoke to him and called him. Call Huff out on it. That dude wasn't even a follower of Jesus. It was like the Pharaoh was sitting in front of me and the Lord used him. Huff, you got something to say? What? Yes. I feel like that guy on Liar Liar, the movie, where you remember where he couldn't tell a lie? Huff, you got something to say? Yes. Well, well out with it. This is wrong. That's what I said. This is wrong. What do you mean it's wrong? So then I went on and explained. I even told them that I had a letter in my desk, a letter of commendation that was given to us by a particular builder about this very guy and his helper. I got a letter in there that's dated about four months ago about how good this guy is, and y'all want to go do him like this. Is this how this company treats people? Because if it does, then maybe I'm not the right guy for this place. Then I thought, oh, no, I'm going to explain that to Sal. You know what? That's a long ride home, by the way. I worked over an hour away from, from home. I thought, I'm going to have to think about this for a whole hour while I'm trying to tell Sal how I stood up for somebody else. And, and, and now I done lost my job, too. Now there's two of us out of work. This is going to be great. I didn't lose my job. And neither did that other guy. Now that's the one time I got it right. There are other times that I could tell you where I got it wrong. 
or I just turned and walked away from a situation because I didn't want to get involved. The problem is, is God gives us influence. I don't care who you are. You may think that you're just a nobody at your job, but I want you to tell you, listen, you are somebody because you are a child of the high king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords is your father. You are absolutely somebody. And I can tell you right now, no matter what your position is, there are people around you who know that there's something special about you and you have influence with them. They may work on the same level as you are. They may work at a lower level. Or they may work at a higher level. But listen to this. God has you where you're at for a reason. I think about the uncle of Esther when he says, maybe God made you for a time like this. I can tell you that I don't have to ask that question. I know God made me for a time like this because I know he made you for a time like this. Why? Because God don't make mistakes. And if it happens, then there is a reason for it. And you can trust that. We need to approve what is excellent. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. It says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, did you hear that? Reprove, it means approve. That's reproves, it's another word for approve. Rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. When you rebuke someone, you do it with patience. But it's not just telling them the wrong, is you actually give them an understanding of what is right and how you got to that. We sit down with the scripture. With complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears and will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. When he told, when he told Timothy to, to be ready in season and out of season, I remember somebody telling me one time that it's just, you know, when God calls you to preach, you got to be ready. you got to be instant in season. That's what the King James Version says, instant in season and out of season. Look it up. You'll see that's what it says. By the way, I'm a confused person. Y'all know what I'm saying? I, I learned a lot in King James, and then I switched over to ESV, and so now I don't know what version I'm in sometimes. I quote half ESV, half KJV, and sometimes I ain't even write any of the one of them because you know me. I was a poet, didn't know it. If this don't work out, I'm going to be a rapper. I am. I'm going to be a rapper. Right? Big Daddy Huff. I'm going to be like that other rapper guy, that two packs of sugar that guy. You know what I'm talking about? He's pretty good. Well, he's got some filthy language, though. They told me, so Huff, when God calls you to preach, and the Bible says be instant in season, now season, you got to be ready to preach at all times. I'm like, what? Yep, you, because listen, I, I, I grew up in a place sometimes where, hey, you're preaching tonight. What? That's not what that means. It means that we always need to be ready. No matter what season we're in, we're to be ready to give a defense for our faith. We always got to be ready to call wrong, wrong. 
and to approve what is right. Because we're to love and our love is to abound with knowledge and discernment so that we can prove what is excellent. And he also gives another part of the why so that we can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You see, the goal, the goal of a follower of Christ is to grow, grow closer to Christ and reflect him more and more every day. Not just to live careless knowing that we'll be covered by Christ at judgment. We don't live a careless life. Well, God's, you know, he's, he, you know, he's died for my sins, so I can just go live however. No, you and I need to love God so much that we want to we grow closer to him each and every day so that one day when we stand before him, we can stand before him blameless. Yes, covered by the blood of Christ, but also having had the works of righteousness in us because we desire every day to live closer to him and to strive for holiness. You know, I, you know, sometimes when we look at our kids and we tell our kids, you know, I'll, I'll always take care of you. And I remember my mom and dad said, I'll always take care of you, but you know, you've got to start learning how to take care of yourself. Yes, I will be covered by the blood of Jesus, but it's also, I need to understand that I should strive for holiness. Remember my dad told me, I'll always provide what you need. I'll always be here for you, son, but you also got to understand that you need to grow up, a, you know, and grow into a man and start learning responsibility. He said, the things that I have to do to make up for what you don't do should be a little less each day. And I remember getting a job. Um, I don't know what they call them now, but I went to school and the kids who wore Kobe jets were uncool. Y'all know what I'm talking about Kobe jets? Y'all ain't got a clue what I'm talking about, do you? Kobe Jets, Fish Heads, you name used to get our Used to get our sneakers at the A.M.P. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember the big basket at the A.M.P. that you bought shoes? They didn't come in a box. It just had that plastic thing that tied the two shoes together. And you walked out there with one shoe on this side of your shoulder, one shoe on the other, held together by that plastic thing. You done got a new pair of shoes. We didn't have no box that Nike on them. We had Kobe Jets. You know them ones that when it rained and you walked through the wet sidewalk and then you got into school, you was the only one squeaking down the hall? Squeak, squeak. Oh, Huff got Kobe Jets on. You can hear it. You can hear me a mile away walking in them things. Squeak, squeak. You're just trying to get your feet dry. You're on the rug and the carpet trying to get them things because everybody going to hear you squeak walking down the hallway because you got Kobe Jets on because them shoes ain't made of rubber. Them's plastic. My dad made sure we always had shoes on our feet. But he said, son, you need to learn to be a man. I know where you're thinking, how does this apply? Well, I remember going to work. Listen, I remember my first job. <laughs> Working for $3.25 an hour for Paul Ashball. <laughs> I can't even say some of the things I thought when I was a kid. Working on that job, but I'm going to tell you one thing. He worked me like a mule. But I remember, I remember at the, at the end of the week getting that paycheck. And at first I was proud. My dad said, son, don't act with pride. Act with thankfulness. 
because God can just as soon take that money away that you made and it's only by him that you have it. Yes, I know you worked hard. Yes, I know you worked for a crazy person. We're crazy people. He said, and I know you think you earned that, but there's a lot of people that work harder for a lot less. So anything you get is a gift from God, and don't you ever forget it. And I remember going to J.C. Penney's. Oh, J.C. Penney's. And Rosen's, trying to decide which pair of shoes I was going to buy. Y'all remember Dr. J's? Oh, boy. Mm. That was good stuff back then, boy. Dr. J's. Y'all don't even know. I don't know what y'all wear these days. Dr. J's, boy, that's the, that's the stuff back in. Got me a pair of Dr. J's all white. and I ain't going to squeak in the rain this time. And Hobie t-shirts. Y'all remember that? Bought me some Hobie t-shirts, some Levi jeans. I've been wearing Kobe Jets and Wranglers. And all my t-shirts had a tag in there that said Dickies on it. Because they's the cheapest. But I was clothed. But I remember when I started to buy those clothes. I remember that. First off, that feeling of pride, which my dad then warned me about. But when I started to think about it and being thankful, because I still had a lot more than a lot of other people will ever have. And so listen, work hard. Yes, we'll be covered by Christ. But we should also desire. We should desire to live holiness because when I start to look, how much can I do? How much is it that I can do when I strive to live in holiness and righteousness? That's why Paul says, you know, do we keep on sinning that grace may abound? Yes, I'm going to be covered with the righteousness of Christ. But I shouldn't use that as a blanket to just go out and live unholy. Instead, I should desire to clothe myself with righteousness through self-control and through a desire to be pleasing to God. When I start to think of being covered by Christ, I, yes, I'm going to have to be covered because I can never be perfect. But I should desire that he would have to use the least amount as possible of blood to cover my sins. Now, I know, listen, we're, God's not up there with a tally sheet, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm not explaining it right. But you and I should desire to live holy before him. So that, yes, I can be blameless before him because of what Christ did, but I should also desire to be blameless and conduct myself accordingly. Instead of standing before God and say, well, I decided just to live any old way because he was going to cover me anyway. My dad was going to make sure my feet were covered, that I had clothes. But I found out that when I worked with my dad, and I did the things that I could do, then together I could do more when I worked with him. And when I desired to, to live in a way that was pleasing to him, and, and to be faithful with, 
with what God has given me and to use it in a wise way instead of going out here and just blowing what I, what I took in on that paycheck, instead of just blowing it. I'm like, you know what? My dad works hard and he provides, but you know, there's some of these things that I can do and I want to do these things in harmony with my father and his love for me to see me clothed. You know, the Bible, the Bible looks favorable upon people who work hard. He said those who don't work hard and don't provide for their family are, are despicable. I want to be pure and blameless before him. It should be my goal each day to live before him in concert with what God is doing in my life and do my part. Instead of just saying, well, God made me, he knows me, and he knows that this is something I struggle with, and just use that as an excuse to just live in my troubles and live in my struggles. Instead, I should make every effort that I have. And then God will make up the difference. And he will provide the strength that I don't have. But too often it seems like we sit on our backsides and we put no effort at all, just saying God will cover us. Well, I would challenge you today that maybe you don't love him at all. Because if that's the way you feel about him, then you do not value. You do not value the blood that was shed for you. You see it as a given instead as a gift. Number five. It says to be filled with all fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. If we're not fruitful, then we have to ask ourselves, if I'm not fruitful, am I even attached to the vine? I mean, think about this question. If I'm not fruitful, if I, if I am the bear fruit, if I am a, am a pear tree and I don't bear pears, then what is my purpose and should I even be left standing? Jesus answered this in John chapter 15. Jesus speaking here, starting at verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of it by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. I want you to understand today that as followers of Christ, it is an absolute uh, uh, assumption of the scripture and of God that, listen, that if we are his, we will bear fruit. It's not a question of should you. It's a question of how much. It's not a question of whether I should. It's just, you know, how much fruit and what does that look like? In Galatians 5, we see what the fruit looks like. 
It says here are the fruit of the Spirit, kindness, uh, love, you know, mercy, all those things that are listed in Galatians 5 are, are the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, that they are the result of God living in us. And listen, it's, a, it's not a matter of should you because we should absolutely, it is assumed that if we are in Him, we will. Amen. We will bear fruit. And so our question for you today is, are you bearing fruit? Because if you're in the vine, then you should absolutely be bearing fruit. And if your life is centered around yourself and not care about anybody, I'm not talking just about caring in word, but I'm talking about caring in deed. Amen. Caring in word doesn't get nothing. Remember he said, if I do all these things, if I speak prophet, uh, prophecy or, or if I speak in tongues, but have not love that I'm of a sounding gong and symbol, I am worthless and I am just a bunch of empty words. I'm not talking about loving somebody in word. I'm talking about what kind of fruit are we bearing by loving in deeds. Absolutely those who are in the vine as a part of the vine as branches, you will, he says, bear fruit. And those that do not bear fruit, what does he say he will do with them? Burn them. Cut them off and burn them. What does he do to the branches that does bear fruit? He says he prunes them so that they may bear more fruit. You know what that means? Our fruit production should grow. Not be the same. God prunes us. By the way, pruning is a, I think sometimes it could be a painful process. Because it cuts off those little offshoots and those things that are, that are going to take away our production. Gets rid of those things that are, that are you know, not according to Him and, and, and not according to the vine growing the way it should be. Those little offshoots that, that take up nutrients away from the big branch. He cuts them off. Why? Because listen, there are things in our life sometimes that become offshoots just like a vine that starts to, to take up time and energy that don't belong in our lives. He said He will prune us so that we can bear more fruit. Not less. But if you're not bearing any fruit, he says, then there's no life in you. You'll be, that vine gets, that branch gets cut off and thrown into the fire. Paul's prayer was that love may abound and abound in knowledge and discernment so that we can prove what is excellent, so that we can stand before God in that great day holy and blameless, filled with fruit that comes through Jesus Christ. You see, there are a lot of good deeds we can do outside of Christ, but only that which we do for Christ will last. Because I've had more than one talk with people talking about, you know, a lot of people are trying to do great things, and listen, that's fine, but you can do something good for someone but if you do it without the gospel present, without giving them hope that is found in Jesus, then at best you're giving them a temporary something. Whatever you're doing will not last. It's only those things that we do for Jesus that will last for an eternity. It may look like sometimes we're bearing fruit because we're going doing good deeds, but we're doing them out of motivation of something else. What are we doing for Christ? I'm not judging you saying that what you're doing is not for Christ, but I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we'll do things that are good and we'll think that God's up there just clapping his hands off for us when in fact is, is we're doing it for other motivation, like acceptance of others, being, you know, being noticed. 
I can tell you this, doing something for Jesus Christ does not include a selfie. Amen? I am so tired of seeing people, they say they love Jesus, taking a picture of themselves doing something good and blasting it on social media. Look at what we did today. We delivered 86 boxes of this. Well, great. I hope whatever applause you get on social media, I hope you enjoyed it because the Bible's clear. That's all you're going to get. You know what's real good? Deliver them 86 boxes. Keep your mouth shut. Well, I just want people to know so they know God's... Uh, listen, you deliver 86... I'm just using 86 arbitrarily, by the way. It's, I don't remember seeing anybody saying 86. I just pulled that number out of somewhere. You deliver 86 boxes with the love of Jesus in your heart, and you tell them the reason why he did this is because that we love Jesus. Now listen, they may not sit down and let you go through Romans Road with them. But you know what? You can deliver something that somebody needs. And listen, you know what? I just felt like God wanted me to do this because he is just driving me to try to help people. He's given me a desire to do it. And I do it for him and him alone. So here, take this and, and may you be blessed with it. If they want to know more, they'll ask. But you know what you did? You planted a seed. They see that God does still motivate people to do great things and not brag about it. But too often we live in a society, look at me, look at me, look at me. Y'all want to hear my favorite? I love this one. This is one of my favorite. When somebody goes on social media, this ain't got nothing to do with the message. I would cut this part out, but I won't. I'll leave it on there anyway. But I love when I see on social media, you know, and somebody especially, because listen, I, I've told you how many times that music can be one of the most dangerous things. Because listen, I love, I love singing for Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, I've sung for applause, and that feels pretty good, too. <laughs> it feels real good. People like what you're doing. It makes you feel good about yourself. I like this. I just want to do this. I just felt lead to do this song. Maybe it'll bless somebody's heart out there. I love that one. Listen, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I don't do it. Because I feel like so often it comes across as we are just... We're just showing ourselves. We just want to be seen. If you know that someone's hurting, instead of putting a song, how about you go drive to their house? How about you hold their hand, you pray with them, sing that song to them there. Let it warm their heart. But I just see so many people that they're, it seems like the world tries to say, I'm doing this for you, I'm doing this for you, I'm doing this for you. And it really looks like they're being self-centered and serving self. I'm not saying everybody that does it is serving self. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying I struggle with it. I struggle with, I struggle with preachers that do it. We, we broadcast our services, and that's absolutely great. And I hope that you share it with people, and I hope that you do that. But I'm going to tell you, I don't. Why? Because it looks self-serving for me, and I don't want to be seen by anyone as self-serving. Because my job is to preach the word. And when you share it with other people, I think that's an absolute great thing. But I just cannot go say, look at me. 
Listen to this great message I just preached. It sounds terrible. I just have a, I have an issue because we live in a world that is so self-soaked and our culture is so self-centered and just soaked in self, self, self. That I fear sometimes that what people think may be fruit is nothing more than a desire for applause. And lastly, he says this, all of this to who? God's glory. All of this to God's glory. Not for ours. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5-10, through 10, it says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at all who among who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. When He comes in all His glory with His saints, you and I, who were not deceived by the world, but instead believed upon Jesus Christ for eternal life. All of this for His glory. And so church, if there's ever a question when you go to do something, there's ever a question, then always, always consider the side of God being glorified. When you ask yourself, who's being glorified more, me or God? Always do the thing that glorifies God more. Always do the things that bring God's glory. And consider ourselves, consider our actions when we do things that are great, do we do them for God's glory or for ours? Because listen, I can tell you this, what we do, the Bible says in secret, God sees. And he says for us to not lay treasures up here, but lay treasures up in heaven where moth and rust do not get them. Do not do things for man's applause, but instead do it for God's. Now listen, I can tell you this, social media and those things, those things are not evil. But it can be used for it. It can also be used for God's glory. If you're going to promote something, promote somebody else. That way when someone looks at you, they don't look at you and say, well, they're just trying to get an, an attaboy or girl." Promote someone else. You see somebody else doing something great, promote them. Why? Because that may be the encouragement they need. And I promise if you encourage people, you yourself will also find yourself encouraged. I don't need to put myself out there and say, hey, look at what I did. To be encouraged. To be accepted. Why? Because I know I'm accepted by Jesus Christ. Not because that I'm perfect, but because of what he did on the cross of Calvary. And because I call him Lord. Because I believed in my heart and I confess him in my life that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because of that, I am accepted by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I know that absolutely when I stand before him on that great day, amen, I know that I will be covered because of what he did on the cross. And that, my friends, is all the acceptance 
weapons I will ever need. I'd like for you to like me, but I don't need for you to like me. I'd like for you to love my preaching, but I don't need you to love my preaching. I just need to make sure that I do what is appropriate and what is acceptable before God. And he, my friends, is enough. You know what I find? I can put something on social media that's funny. I'll get a hundred and some likes. But I put something on there that's real, that will challenge your heart, I'd be lucky to get 15. You know what that tells me? That tells me that people don't, a lot of people don't want to hear it. They, you know, it's all great when you say something they like, but when you start saying something that's real and true, then you see how many people are really, really desire the truth. And I find that it's very lopsided. Very lopsided. But you know what I know even more than that? I know that what I do in real life and not on digital life will have a greater impact. Because it's one thing to tell somebody. As a matter of fact, we found it in James chapter 2. I, believe. I said this last week and Kevin actually sent me the, the scripture. James 2, 14-ish, somewhere there. Where it talks about, you know, when someone is in need of a coat, you don't just say, well, go and be warmed. Give them a coat and pray for them. So many times we see people going through tough times. I'll be praying for you. 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 Okay, that's great. But you know what? Is there something else that you can do that might help them as well? By the way, I, I'm convinced a lot of people say I'll pray for you and they never do. That's all great and but God has called us to bear fruit. To bear fruit in real life. We're getting to the point in this day and age that we're not sure what is real and what isn't. Amen? Not sure what is real and what isn't. I mean, in these days, we, have, we know that even like things like video games can alter a person's even understanding and perception. To the point that then they'll go act out in real life that which they've been doing on video. To the point they don't even understand real life. God has called us to be the church. So this is, I thought, you know what, I'm Huff, write a summary of this prayer. If you're going to preach this, write a summary of this prayer in your own words. And so this is what I want to leave you with as Brian gets the song together. It's this. The church is to love with knowledge and discernment so that we can deliver both truth and understanding of what God approves so that we may stand fruitful and unashamed on that great day when Christ is glorified with his glorious bride. Would you stand to your feet?